Good morning again, everyone. Hope you're doing well today, and we hope you had a great Christmas celebration so far. And in the traditional sense, the Christmas celebration continues actually after Christmas Day. So uh, we wish you a Merry Christmas. And this year, this week, we get to wish you a Happy New Year all in the same week. And, uh, and I want to second uh, what Pastor Donovan said about the Bible reading plan. The, the plan is called Let's Read the Bible Together. Uh, we're going to encourage all of us to do it. You can get it on your phone if you have a smartphone. Uh, the Bible app and uh, you just look for let's read the Bible together and then you can you can friend each other and share thoughts and reflect with one another it's a great opportunity to read together and uh, we just encourage you to do it every month is going to be a little different section of the Bible so it won't just be long sections through Leviticus and Deuteronomy those are always the the harder ones but it's going to be mixed up a bit and it'll also be designed so that if you decide to start somewhere in the year you're not going to feel like you're left behind so it'll be a great opportunity hope you can do that so this morning this is an exciting day because it is the last time we'll have a service together this year it is our last Sunday of the year and uh, we're not going to be talking this morning about Christmas. We're going to be, we really reserved this day and prayed for a number of weeks about praying for a message that we felt God would have us to consider on this last Sunday of the year. In other words, no series, no thoughts in terms of what, you know, are we going to continue talking about Christmas? Today we want to just spoke, speak about, Pastor Aaron is speaking in Reedsburg and me here today, and we're talking about what do we really believe God would have for us as we ponder the end of one year and the beginning of another. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning and I've got a section of scripture we're going to read. It's a beautiful story from Jesus and I hope some things that are going to help us as we move forward. Would you join me though and let's, let's pray that God will help us on this eventful occasion where we think about our lives and measure them as the year changes. Let's pray that God would speak to us and help us. Would you join me right now? Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that you by the Holy Spirit would open our hearts and minds to you. Lord, we know that as this year changes, many of us are gonna be thinking about changes in our lives. We'll be measuring what we've done, pondering what we should do, but we pray that above all of the measuring that we do and all in all of our pondering, we would welcome you. And so this morning, Lord Jesus, we pray that we give you these next moments and we pray that in this time, you would, by your Holy Spirit, mold our lives in such a way that our trajectory would be set moving into this new year. Not just to succeed in this world's eyes, but to please you and to be what you want us to be. We ask your help, and I pray that you'll help these, this time of communication to be effective in Jesus' name. If you can agree, say amen. 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 Well, this morning, I wanted to let you know about something really important because this is a time of the year where this happens or it's going to happen really soon, and I know that you're going to be really interested. There are really important reports that are coming out uh, for our whole nation and you should be interested and these reports are yield reports on how many bushels of corn per acre farmers get off of their crops 
you're interested, right? Well, I know you are, so I'm just gonna help fill you in because this is, this is really, really important. Matter of fact, for some people, their lives almost depend upon it. And uh, they're not quite out, but they'll be coming out. You may be interested to know that they've been measuring this back for a lot of years. In the year 1960, when I was born, and yes, I am that old, the average yield per acre of land for a farmer growing corn in America was 57 bushels. You want to make a note of that? Probably not, but anyway. In the year 2017, the average was 175 bushels. And the record ever produced was held by a farmer in Georgia who specifically tailored his land to try to get the record. He produced 503 bushels of corn per acre on his farm just a couple of years ago. And it, I mean, that's really exciting, isn't it? So I have a question for you. And it's the question most of you are probably thinking. It's a two-word question. Who cares? I mean, you know, it's kind of a sarcastic question, really. You know, but, you know, Pastor, you're taking up time here in the church when we could be home sleeping. So, you know, why are you talking about corn and farms? And, and the question is, who cares about the corn yield per farm, per acre, per farm, whatever? Who cares? Can somebody answer me out loud? Who cares? Farmers care. Farmers care because it's their life, because they've invested a big part of their life in this crop and they're really, really interested in how much of a yield they're gonna get from their investment. Wouldn't you agree? If you were a farmer, you're not laughing. You're thinking, whoa, pastor, we're on the same wavelength today. Way to go, you know? Kind of like if I talked about your job, you'd be like, oh man, cool. And farmers care about yield reports. But if you're not a farmer, it's just boring statistic. And we don't really care. And I share this with you because this morning's story from Jesus is going to be a story about a farm and yield. And it's going to be a story that illustrates who cares about the yield from our lives. We talked about a Bible reading plan today. And as we begin this year, I hope you'll take seriously the idea of reading your Bible every day or doing the best you can to get toward that goal. I hope you can really do that. But, but you know, as you read through the Bible, there are going to be some times where you're reading that Bible and it's going to seem like yield reports. And you're going to look at those pages and it's going to be columns of somebody's name and somebody else's name. And you're going to think, who cares? What does this have to do with me? I'm not a farmer. I'm not living in Canaan. I don't care about Jericho and Joshua. What does this do for me? And the answer is that you may not care, but the farmer cares. And in the story we're about to read, God is the farmer. And he's looking at humanity as his field. And he's very, very interested in the yield he will get for his investment. You see, we have a farm crisis in America today. And a farm crisis can be described with basically one sentence. When it costs more to produce something than you can make selling it, you have a crisis. Doesn't matter if it's milk or corn or soybeans or whatever you're growing. When it costs you more, 
you, you, you got to pay so much to produce this and then you bring forth this harvest and you realize, I paid more for that than I can sell it for. You have a crisis. I want you to think before we read this story about what did it cost God to plant salvation in the field of humanity? What did it cost him? What did we just celebrate on Christmas? God so loved the world, he gave his, say it out loud, only begotten son. That was his investment. He planted, if you will, Jesus into the field of humanity. Like the song we sang, into darkness your mercy came. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, the only begotten son of the father. The word only begotten in the Greek language is the word monogenous, one gene. Only one time did God ever leave heaven and reproduce into a human being on this planet. That was his investment. What is his return? His return is to grow through our lives as we change from darkness to light. As we change from a people that is overwhelmed and struggled and, and burdened by sin and bad behavior, change into people that become more like him and help others and reflect his love. That's the return that he desires for his investment. It's what makes him most happy. It's what Jesus said would happen in heaven when even one sinner repents. He said there is great joy and all the angels rejoice in heaven. Why are they rejoicing? Because the father got another yield report and said, yes, look what, look what happened, father, all across the earth. Your investment is returned to you. Souls are coming to you. Lives are changing into your image and becoming more and more like you. And this is what pleases God. The question I have for us to ponder is how much fruit will our lives produce and, and who's really watching? You know, as we think about this new year beginning, I'm sure we're all thinking, maybe, I hope so, maybe we all, all aren't. Most people are thinking about what will the year bring? And we'll be very concerned about things like, I hope it'll be better financially. This year we want to get out of the hole. Or this year we want to save for this. Or this year we want to be healthier. We want to get along better in our families. All of these wonderful goals are, are good things. But God's watching for how much spiritual fruit can happen in your life. What will my yield be? And so that's what we want to talk about. And I'm going to invite you now to read with me the story from Jesus found in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. The story we call the vine and the branches, the parable of the vine and the branches. Reading from verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean. The you he's referring to were the disciples listening to him at this moment. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, 
You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The Father smiles when fruit is produced in our life. And this morning we're going to take a look into this parable and we're going to look at some of the, some of the obvious characters or people involved and some of the principles that I think can help us, especially as we start in this new year. But when we think of fruit, let's look at the beginning stage of this fruit. Uh, I was talking with uh, Aaron before he left this morning for Reesburg and, and he quoted someone that came up with a brilliant statement, I believe, about what it means to become a disciple of Jesus. You know the, the terms in the Bible and I guess there's a lot of ways to look at it. But is, is there a difference from somebody who just comes to the Lord to be forgiven and is glad just to go to heaven when you die and doesn't do much with it? At what point do we become a real disciple of our master? that we really take on that role. And here was a quote that I heard this morning that was so good. It said, a disciple is someone who transforms from receiving help from the mission of the church to taking the responsibility for the mission of the church. A person that's not just a recipient of the mission of the church, but a person who becomes responsible for the mission of the church. I want to tell you that probably above all the things I get most excited about as a church, I'm thrilled about our new building. I'm thrilled with all the kids that we have and the opportunities that we have to build them. And, and, and I'm thrilled about all of that. But, but really when it comes down to it, we want to transform people into real disciples. It was a joy this morning and you saw it and got to participate of it. You know, here on our worship team, last Sunday of the year, I think our oldest uh, member of the worship team was 21 and that was our drummer. So, uh, and they did a beautiful job. Would you give them a hand this morning? They did a great job. I'm not pointing them out to give them anything they don't deserve, but I'm pointing out the fact that these young people have owned the responsibility of the mission of the church. They work and serve to further the cause of Christ. And so many of you do here. And it's the real joy of ministry. As we look at this parable, how can we all grow to produce more fruit like that? So let's get right into it. The thing that we want to ask is, of course, how can we bear more fruit? But another thing, and this is clearly taught in the scripture, what will God do to help us bear fruit? And you really got to get that straight before you get this story or it won't make sense to you at all. What will God do to help us bear this fruit? If you picture right now that God is an angry farmer standing somewhere distant with a big club or a big sickle in his hand and he's just waiting for some branch to not bear perfect fruit so he can slash it down with his machete kind of tool then you've got the wrong picture of God. Because Jesus said the father is the vine dresser. He's the owner of the vineyard. He's the farmer. 
What does he want? He wants fruit. You don't get fruit from plants that you destroy. You get fruits from plants that you care for. The father cares for us. And he cares for us so much that he invested the best and all of himself into us. And he has plans to help us bear more fruit. And we're going to look at two of them in this story. So first of all, the father is the vine dresser. He's the owner of all. He invested his son in humanity in order to get a return. And his, he awaits fruit from our life. Now it says that Jesus is the vine. Jesus is the vine. Jesus is the perfect blending of God and man. We just celebrated that at Christmas. He is Emmanuel, God with us. The divine and the human blended into one. The pre-existent God joined in one person with the body, Jesus from Nazareth. It's a mystery, but it's a wonder. And that wonderful mystery of God and, G and man united in one person became the vine. The inside of the vine is God himself flowing toward humanity. The part of the vine we can see and touch is Jesus the man, the compassionate savior, the wonderful, merciful savior that we sing about. So he becomes the perfect vine because we come to him because he understands. We trust him because he's been here with us. But when we touch him, we don't just touch man, we touch God. And that touch unites us to the vine. I would say again that Jesus is the perfect blend of God and man. A perfect blend. It makes him the perfect connection for us. When we connect to him, we receive life of the Father and fruit begins to grow in our lives. Touching Jesus and things begin to change. Life begins to grow. I know that winter is just getting started, but, but uh, spring will be here. For those of you that don't like winter, I'm already thinking about spring, but uh, I got a couple of nods of, all right, I'll leave it alone. But spring will one day be here. And you know what, 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 is so beautiful about spring is you can look at your lawn or a woods or a field and it looks just about as dead and hopeless as it can be. Long winter, everything's gray, it's frozen, it's dark, grass looks dead, trees look dead, it just looks dead. But you know what happens. The sun begins to shine, a little rain falls and that awful dead looking grass and those plants begin to come alive with new life. We are that when we touch Jesus. We're dead inside, but when we touch him, life begins to grow. We touch the vine and our branch is invigorated with life and things begin to change in us and that fruit begins to grow and our character begins to change and our lives begin to change. And that's what happens when we unite to him who is the vine. Jesus said, you are the branches. Upon believing in Jesus, we are grafted into him and thus God. Now we tell people this and it's common knowledge, but we say if you ask Jesus to come into your heart, he comes into you and he lives in your heart. The mystery of Christianity is not that we're involved with a religion trying to please God, but that when we believe in Jesus, we are infused with the power of the Holy Spirit and we're filled with God himself. How many of you know that as a Christian, God lives in you? How many of you know he does? He lives in us because we're the branch. We're connected to the vine. So I said Jesus was a perfect blend of God and man. 
I'm going to say this a little carefully, but it is no the less true. We are like Jesus, but we are an imperfect blend of God and man. We have God living in us because we're connected to the vine. But we're very imperfect because we have all kinds of imperfections in our own lives. And we're an imperfect blend. So it is the branches that get his attention just now. And he, he helps us to bear fruit by focusing on us in our lives. There are two things that he does to help us. And we're going to get into one right now. In verse number two, it says this. Every branch in me, in me, everybody say in me. I want you to think about that. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, what does he do? He Say it out loud. Takes away. It's not up there. I can't. He didn't memorize it. I get it. He takes it away. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, now please stop because I know what we're thinking. Immediately we're thinking, hey, I thought, you, I thought you said God wasn't that angry farmer up there with a machete, but here I am and I'm in Christ and I'm not bearing fruit and he's just waiting. No, let, let's look at the real language of this verse. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. You're in Christ, but you're not yet bearing fruit. He takes it away. It's the Greek word erei. Erei. And you know what the word means? In every other place, it's translated one of these two ways. It means to take up or to raise up. Not take away. Away was added here in the translation because it, they'd probably get it because they were used to vineyards. What does it mean? It means oftentimes new branches, and I've studied it out, oftentimes new branches on vines will grow, and sometimes they'll grow down rather than along the, the wire that they're attached to. And the vines will grow down, and sometimes other vi vines will fall on top of them. And then grass will grow up around them, and those new branches, although healthy enough, are literally choked by grass and other vines, and they're not getting any sun. So... In the beginning of the growing season, the vine dresser walks along and he looks at his vineyard and he goes, ah, there's some branches down there. They're not going to bear any fruit down there. So he lifts them up. He takes them away, according to that translation. He lifts them up and he picks them up and he doesn't just pick them up. He puts them on top of the other branches because they've been neglected so that they will get special exposure to the sun. And sometimes he'll twine them around the others. And then those new branches that weren't bearing fruit get special exposure and begin the growing process. Isn't that a lot nicer to understand than to think that if you don't get serious about God, he's going to, you know, boot you out. No, he's going to lift you up. Every branch in me, not yet bearing fruit, he's going to lift you up so that you will bear fruit. And this explains the wonderful phenomenon, maybe some of you can remember as I can, the wonderful phenomenon of a brand new Christian life where, where you've really turned yourself over to God and it seems like just about every prayer you pray gets a magical answer. And maybe that's just a seems like, but I remember some striking things that happened to me. Uh, growing up where I did, I used to, as a new Christian, I would go out and, and do my best to share Jesus with other people. And as I did that, eventually I had some people interested. And uh, I, I remember thinking one day, I'd only been a Christian in about a month, and it was a serious commitment I made. But I, I felt like, you know, I've got, I've got all these people that are interested in you. 
and I, I, I would love to give them a Bible. And I didn't have enough sense to know that you could order Bibles from a place. I, I just was naive and I thought, God, I don't know where I'm going to get all these Bibles, but I know what I'll do in my naive, naivety. I thought, I'll ask God and I'll just pray about it. So I remember sitting in my old farmhouse as a teenager, Lord, you know, I've been witnessing for you and seems like some people are interested. I could really use some Bibles. And I prayed and I sat around for a while and pretty soon the phone rang. I mean, literally minutes, phone rang. Is this Paul? Yeah. Well, this was a neighbor lady of ours. She said, this is kind of strange. I hope you don't think I'm weird. And I thought, well, it's all good now. I'm, I'm weird too. But she said, I ordered a while back a whole case of Bibles and I have no idea why I did it. But I just was looking at them today and thought maybe Paul would like those Bibles. So if you like them, I'll drive them over. And I thought, come on over. And within an hour, I had a whole case of Bibles. And I thought, you know what? This Christian life is going to be fun. I need something. I ask Jesus and somebody brings it over right now. And I had many experience like, experiences like that for the first few months of my Christian experience. And then it didn't always work that easy. But what, maybe some of you have had those unique things where like, oh no, look what happened. And it's so cool. What is that? That's the father taking your branch and giving it special exposure. And said, I know you're new and you're not bearing fruit yet. Let's, let's just make this, let's get you a jump start. Let's help you see how fun this can really be. I want you to bear fruit. So he lifts us up. This lifting up could look like special opportunities to grow in spiritual services. Maybe you can look back to some moment, a revival service or a special church meeting or a prayer meeting or, or some event that happened where you went, oh my gosh, that changed my life. That was God saying, just gonna lift you up and place you there. Maybe it, it, looks, like, uh, it looks like new relationships that challenge and encourage you. Just at this time in your life when you, you gave your life to Jesus, all of a sudden you meet somebody at work who, who's also a Christian and, and boy, they're like Paul the Apostle. They, they're challenging you and telling you to read your Bible and encouraging you. It's because God's lifting you up, exposing you to more spiritual life. You read your Bible and you realize that God has so much more and he leads you into deeper experiences with him. It's because he's lifting you up that you're a branch that's not bearing fruit. But he's going he's gonna to do his best to help you bear fruit. It's a loving father. And he does that for all of us. For all of us. But it's not the only thing he does. He doesn't just lift up branches that aren't bearing fruit. The next verse says that all those in me who bear fruit... He prunes, he prunes them that they might bear, I would add the word even, but even more fruit. So you start bearing fruit and you start having some spiritual life and things begin to change in your life. And what does the father do? He prunes you. Now, I've honestly, you know, I've read this maybe hundreds of times and I've honestly never liked that phrase very much it's because I've had a bad experience with pruning and uh, we, we bought an old house once that uh, had a grapevine 
just one behind an old broken down garage. And when we bought it, it, it was a mess. It needed everything and, and most of it got attention. But the last to get the attention was that grapevine. And it was, it was a jungle. Blackberry bushes growing up, weeds, burr nettles, everything bad, and grapes that were twirled around and twisted so bad it was like the crown of thorns in there. It was, it was just awful. And after we got everything else done, I thought, you know what? I've heard about pruning things, and uh, this is never, you're never going to get any fruit out of this. I know my Bible. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go in there and prune that thing. And of course, you know, I, I have a little bit of a problem with either all or nothing. So I, I'm not a real middle-of-the-road person. My wife's going to laugh her head off back there. But, but anyway, so I go out there, and I think, you know what? This little pruning thing, this is going to take me a week. I'm taking a hatchet, a saw, uh, and a machete, and I'm going to prune my grapes. So I went in there, took the better part of a day. And I thought, when I got done, I thought I might have got a little carried away. Looked like I had a log. That's all I had. Just, just about that big around, straight log going across. I pruned it. <laughs> Didn't get a grape out of that thing for two years. First year, I got some leaves. Second year, a little thing. Third year, finally got grapes. We sold the house. Never did get a grape out of the whole thing. <laughs> so pruning has always been in my mind, like, is that what God's going to do to me? He sees me as that crown of thorns, and he's going to come in there with a machete and go, here, take that. But, of course, we know that God doesn't do those kinds of things. He's kinder, and he's better than me, and he's more gentle. But pruning is important. And the word pruning, we understand to mean cut something away. But in, in the Greek language in which the Bible was written, the word prune means to purify, to cleanse, and to remove anything that hinders your growth. To purify or to cleanse. So it isn't so much someone always coming from the outside and cutting something off. It can be God doing works on the inside or the outside of our lives. It can be him just slowly cutting off the things that are keeping us from really bearing fruit. Pruning. So what could this look like? Well, it could mean that at some point, unhealthy relationships get challenged by God. Now, when I say unhealthy, I'm talking about, you know, spiritual relationships. And, and you've all heard the story. I mean, when I first came to Christ as a teenager, I had lots of unhealthy relationships. The only thing we ever had in common was doing bad things. And those relationships weren't going to spur me on to spiritual growth. I had to find a way, and God had to find a way for me to find some different relationships. Unhealthy relationships can be pruned or can be slowly uh, removed from our lives endeavors for us that will divert us from God endeavors that will divert us from God it's the new year you know sure to happen at some point and it happens almost every year and as pastors it's always interesting to see someone will come up and say hey hey you know what I've been thinking about my life and kind of tired on kind of tired of living on barely get along street and you know what happened God answered my prayer what is that what does that mean well, God answered my prayer. I got this opportunity at a job. It's going to pay me three times the money I've ever made. I've got to work nine days a week and 20 hours a day. And I'll never be able to be in church. 
but this is God's opportunity for me. And I always say, is it really? Or is it an opportunity to take you away from God? You have to determine that, but the fact is God can prune us from opportunities that would only help us go in the wrong direction. Are you following where I'm going with this? Endeavors that will divert us from God. How about God could prune us from the means to have things that make us so comfortable we don't need him. Nobody wants to hear that. I've thought about this and I want to be careful in sharing it because God certainly loves his people and he has no problem blessing you with an abundance and I pray every day for all of you to be blessed and I, I know that's important. But I remember years in our lives, one specific instance I remember, and I still remember where I was in the street and where I was driving when this happened. It was many years ago, and we had begun the church here and had been going for a number of years, and, and we were thankful for all that God had done, but it was rather slim, and that meant really slim living for us financially. We never had any money. And this one specific time, I remember driving by a church here in Boston, and I saw it was a traditional church, and I saw, oh, man, man, they seem to be so blessed, and, uh, you know, they always seem to have everything they need. And, and then in, as I was driving, I thought about my pastor friends who had begun churches the same time we had, and, and their churches were blessed, and, and they had all these nice things. And, and I was thinking... And I remember saying in my mind, if not out loud, as I'm driving, God, why is this so hard for me? I didn't want an answer to that prayer. That wasn't even a prayer. It was just kind of a complaint. You know, I, how many of you ever don't answer? But if you complain to God, you don't want him to answer you. You just want, okay. God, why is this so hard for us? I got an answer I didn't want. He said, why you asked me for this? I thought, no, I did not. <laughs> kind of an idiot you think I am. I wouldn't ask for this. And I felt that he said, you asked me for my best. And I can't give you my best until you give your all. And it struck me. Well, if that's what it takes, and I want his best. I wouldn't mind the rest either. But I want his best more than I want anything else. I want a lot of things in life like many of you. I'm thrilled to see what God has done in this church, but I don't just want a career and a nice retirement. That's not what we want. We don't just want a building with people sitting in chairs and giving money and I just do my career thing and do my professional pastor thing and then I go away and it goes away. I do want God's best. I want this church to raise champions of people. I want those young people that are going to be in that building that we're building. I want them to be marked disciples of Jesus. I want this place to be able to be a seed house where people can grow from here and can go and change the spiritual climate of this country and not just complain about it. I believe that God has a great need for people to rise up and for his cause to go forward. Churches all over the nation are closing. One denomination, leading denomination in the, in the Archdiocese of, of Chicago is closing 153 churches this year in one city. Other, other, another second leading denomination in our country is down 2,000 pastors from where they need to be this year. 
I believe that can change. I don't just want a nice church and a nice retirement. I want God's best, and you are that best. And we should all be believing for that. And if that means that God has to prune some things in you, I'd rather have the pruning because I know he's not crazy like me with a machete. He's a little more gentle. Pruning means that God will cleanse us and cut off things that will hinder our growth and progress. It's not all as radical as I made it sound. Very often it sounds like, you know, I've always done it this way, but it just seems to be not working anymore. Well, this is the way our family always did it, but it just doesn't seem right anymore. Well, this was always super fun and fulfilling, and now it seems empty. Why? Because God's cutting off things that are diverting your growth and helping you to embrace a more healthy way of living. He prunes us once we bear fruit so we can bear even more fruit. What's really, really important as we think about uh, this and in closing this message today, I have one more thing to say, but what's really, really important is this. God does not do these things to us. He does them with us. Everyone say with us. God does not do things to us. He does them with us. Which means we have to cooperate. Which means when he exposes you to more spiritual opportunities, you have to say yes to them. That new relationship with somebody that's inviting you to church all the time and wants you to be there every time the doors are open and you're, that's not how you've done it, that could be God exposing you. You have to say, yes, I want to go with you, God. Pruning doesn't mean God does things to you. It means he begins to take the life out of bad things that were diverting you and practices that you, you know aren't right, but you've just been so used to them. And he begins to help you see, you know, we got to make some changes here. It's up to you to say yes to those changes. It's up to us to cooperate, to work with God. Because God does, I've heard so many sermons about pruning where God did this to me and then I had to seek him. I, you know, that's all fine, but it's not really the context of the, in context with the rest of spiritual thought. God doesn't do things to you. He does them with you. He wants you to say yes. No one's going to be in heaven that didn't want to be there. And no one's going to be fruitful that doesn't want to be. You have to cooperate to say yes. The last group is worth a mention. It said, those branches that are not in me. What is life like for somebody that doesn't connect with Jesus? Sometimes I think we assume that only people in desperate need need Christ. But it's not like that at all. Everyone needs Christ. Wealthy, poor, successful, failing, healthy, sick. We all need Christ. Every branch that is not in me, Jesus said, they wither. They wither. A little bit like my Christmas tree at home. I water it for the first few days. And then I overwatered it like I overpruned and water's pouring through my floor into the basement. And I said, forget it, done watering you. It still looks a little green, 
If you touch it, stuff falls from it. But if all you did is look at it from a distance, it's all decorated up. Looks nice. That's what life without Jesus is like. You got to spray paint it now and then. You got to decorate it because inside it's withering. Those friends and relative of, relatives of ours who don't know Jesus, they're not bad people any more than we were. But they need to be connected to the vine. And the warning is simple. At the end of life, those withered branches are gathered and thrown into the fire. So today, God has a plan for us and this beautiful parable can be a model for us as we step forward into this year. Would you stand with me? I'm going to invite you to pray for just a minute or so with me. It is the last Sunday of our year. I'm going to ask you as you bow your heads to ponder not what you want to do for this year, but how God can help you be more fruitful. I'm going to ask you to consider what special opportunities has he presented to you that you should take advantage of? How has he lifted you up and given you special opportunities? I'll also ask you to consider what parts of your life might he be pruning, cutting away, in order to turn your attention to something that will bring more spiritual value. Will you say yes to that? Lord, we ask your help today. You said that if we abide in you and your words abide in us, we will ask what we will and it will be granted to us. We want to be like you, Jesus. We want to be the answer for people who are in need. We want to be the one that people can turn to when they need God. We want to be an example that provokes others to want to find you. And we need you to help us bear that fruit. As we think about this year, we pray that you would help us to make good decisions about your working in our lives. And we also pray for all of our friends and family who are like those withering branches. They look good on the outside but inside they need you. Please help us to help them find you. We ask it in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed this morning, if you're here and you would like to make that commitment to Jesus, maybe you feel like that withered branch, you know that you need him. If that describes you today, what we're asking you to do is to believe in Jesus and to receive him into your heart as your savior and your Lord. And if you've not done that, but today you would like to say, I need Jesus and I want to get right with him. Or, or maybe you prayed a prayer, but you've gone far from him and you know that this is your day to return. If either of those describe you, I'd like to pray with you right where you are. But I'm going to ask you to raise your hand to say, yes, this is me. Please pray with me just so we know to pray. If that describes you, would you raise your hand? Thank you this morning. Others saying, yes, I want Jesus. I want to welcome him. I'm going to believe in him. Thank you. We're going to pray together just as I asked. So I'm going to ask you, especially if you raised your hands, repeat this simple prayer after me. It's a prayer to believe in Jesus and to welcome him into your heart. All of you, will you all pray together with us? Let's say, dear Lord Jesus, 
I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on a cross to take away my sins. And I believe you rose from the dead. Lord Jesus, I give you my whole life. Come into my heart and make me new inside. I give you all that I am for now and forever. Amen. Now, Father, I thank you for those who raise their hands especially and prayed, and I thank you for your loving care for us all. We pray your blessing on them and all of us in Jesus' name. And we all said...